Hello and welcome to the Spotlight Podcast. My name is Christina Carre and today I'm talking to Terry O'Donovan and Daphna Atias, who are the performer and director respectively of User Not Found, a production by their company called Dante or Die, who specialize in immersive and site-specific theater making. So it's a really interesting topic. They're doing some really interesting things with technology and accessibility. So have listened to our wonderful conversation. Terry, Daphne, thank you so much for joining us at Spotlight today. Um, I want to jump right in with your company, Dante or Die. Can you tell me a little bit about the origin of where you guys started? So we met each other when we were training at Central School of Speech and Drama. Mm-hmm. And during our training year, we spent about two or three weeks working on a site-specific or site-inspired based uh, unit. And that was the first time Daphne and I worked together. And we worked on a skate park in Kennington in South London. And there was a graffiti there that said Dante or Die. Uh, just scrawled on the skate park. It's still there, actually. Really? Uh, it is. And that's kind of where the, the seeds for Dante or Die began. Um, so we really enjoyed this experience. I was wearing a giant pink dress in the skate park and we were on rollerblades. <laughs> and we had the audience come up and around the skate park. And we really enjoyed the ideas of moving an audience through a space. We enjoyed like reframing what a space might mean, looking at the history of a space. Um, and that's kind of where our collaboration began and where we started making stuff. Um, you mentioned those words just there, site-specific. Mm. What does that mean in terms of theatre? And what was it about that particular concept? Was it just that you wanted to respond to different places that were non-traditional? Or what was it that drove that in particular? I think there's a few things. One is, yes, of course, we are drawn to untraditional spaces and the stories that spaces can tell uh, and and framing places differently. So coming in, one of the things that we loved hearing from an audience member after coming to see our latest show, Take On Me, which takes place in leisure centres, is wow, I I never saw the leisure centre like that before, just coming to see it after hours, thinking about what kind of stories um, it holds. And the other thing I think is is intimacy and um, an ability to choreograph the audience are two things that really excite us. This show that you're bringing to the Fringe feels a little bit different. It's obviously got a technology aspect to it, which is a bit of a departure. It feels like a bit of a departure. What made you want to tell this story in particular? Yeah, we are technophobes, actually. Oh, really? <laughs> All of our other shows are really DIY. Because it's got a little bit of a like Black Mirror-esque vibe yeah. about the storyline. Is that how you describe it? Well, actually, we kind of did the opposite. Okay. So when we first... Uh, we read an article about this woman whose, whose husband died very suddenly, and she had to deal with this online presence, and it was something that she hadn't thought about before, and it really plagued her, and the way she wrote about it was really beautiful. It was very, like, it was humanizing the digital that we all live in. Um, and I think that's what drew us to it. So actually, when we were first sitting around a table with with our teams, we were like, we can't. Black Mirror do this brilliantly. Mm. Black Mirror have done this kind of creepy, the eerie, eerie, weird, scary part of technology. We were like, actually, we carry around these phones with us all the time. Like they sleep next to us. They're in our pockets. If someone asks to go through your phone, it's kind of a weird. It's like, mm, no, that's kind of the insides of me. So actually, we wanted to look at the human aspect of it. So it's actually really not Black Mirror-esque in terms of... Kind of the opposite. And back to what you were saying about intimacy. Exactly. Mm. And through our kind of research and conversations with people, we discovered that a lot of people find a lot of comfort and a joined platform to share their grief. 
online. And so actually we were kind of trying to say the opposite of uh, technology is evil. <laughs> yeah. And I guess what doesn't feel like a departure, yes, we are technophobes and we invited this amazing um, creative technologies, a company called Marmelo to collaborate with us. But the collaboration with them was like a collaboration mm. with any artist. They were with us from the beginning. We explored very, a lot, a lot of different ways of looking at how we will make this, tell this story together. So telling the story was always the first thing that... Mm. And I guess the audience experience um, is like is in line with all the rest of our work and how we want to create intimate moments. And um, the the way that I'm performing within the space means that the audience are very much part of the world. Um, And obviously it's set in a cafe. So we're looking at, again, a very ordinary space in which we all exist all the time. We're always in there on our laptops and our phones and. We're in there chatting to our friends. What are these spaces for and why are they important to society? So just backing up for a second, how do you summarise the show to people? It's called Use Not Found. Mm-hmm. I should mention that. <laughs> <laughs> and how do you sort of tell people about the plot? What, uh-huh. do, what should they expect? Uh, so it's a show that is, uh, what should they expect or the plot? Because it's a guess mm, different. I guess we things. always try to talk a bit about the experience right. and the plot. So mm. it's set in cafes, as we said. Every audience member receives a mobile phone and headphones. And we get to sit in a cafe with a bunch of strangers. We don't know who's the performer yet, but at some point we understand um, that Terry is the character we're following. And everything that happens on his phone, we can see on our phones. But also everything that happens in his head and his heart, we could see, we could hear through our headphones and we could see very poetic things happen on the screens as well. In terms of the story, I think uh, we look at digital legacy, what happens with all of our digital content after we die, who owns it, uh, do we want to keep it, do we want to delete it. So we follow a very specific story of one man's grief over Mm. an ex It's a very um, pertinent question given all the sort of Facebook Mm. and all these other things that are happening and even GDPR, you know, the idea of data and how we deal with it feels like a really contemporary issue is that sort of to tie back into what you were saying before you know it seems like when you're talking about site specific and rethinking a space how do you even start with a story for that is it the case that you see a space or you think of cafes and think what could we do here or is it that you just had this very compelling contemporary kind of story and then we're like where would you experience this how does that process kind of break down and we've had processes Mm. from that direction and from that direction specifically with user not found i think it came together we read the article and i think pretty much in the first conversation we we knew it has to be set in cafes it has to set to be set at this contemporary workspace when everyone can be hidden behind a screen and but nobody knows what's happening um, behind that screen. Yeah, we were doing a lot right. of work in cafes at the time, like as lots of freelancers <laughs> do and artists yeah. do. You're having meetings, you're writing funding applications, you're writing dialogue, whatever you're doing. And we were looking at people going, well, what if that person suddenly gets a phone call that changes their life? Right. Are we, who are in the cafe with them, are we aware of that? Would they reach out and ask us for help or not? So Chris, is, Chris Good, who's written the, the script with us, has written this beautiful line that says we all come to the cafe every day and we come here to be together but alone together right and it's got this really interesting play of like why we do need cafe spaces because we do need to be around other people we need humans and these devices that we're carrying around connect us with all these other humans all the time and yet there's also people just sitting right next to us 
that yeah. we could reach out and say hi. We don't talk to them necessarily. Yeah. So it's kind of playing with the kind of public-private and the idea of humanity. And I think that's also why it's a theatre piece. Right. Um, it's about us experiencing this together in one space together. And that's really important. To that's the show. what makes it theatre yeah. as opposed to just... Yeah. A story exactly. <laughs> on a page. Yeah. You mentioned, you use the word cafe plural, cafes. Does that mean that you think this could be performed in any cafe? Yes. Yeah. So it is going to be performed okay. in many cafes. <laughs> uh, we've just done three previews um, to test things. We always work like that. We preview the show to, and then edit the script or change um, order of things. So that's been invaluable because also because the audience is so much in it, you mm. have to yeah. test how the audience interacts with it. Well, that's really fascinating because I, I know that like immersion theatre is kind of a thing at the moment and it iterates in lots of different ways across the sort of theatre spectrum um, from like very simple ideas through to really complex journeys. How do you actually prepare for like a piece of immersive theatre? And particularly as a performer, I'm just curious. There's so many factors there. You don't know what people are going to do. You don't know what they're going to say. Mm. You don't know if they're going to actually participate or be uncomfortable or how they'll respond. I just wonder, like, how do you test that kind of stuff? Because obviously you can test the technology, but you can't test the people necessarily. Or can you? What's your experience? You, that is that? why we do previews. Right. It is in order to test people. And yes, of course, you can never know what people might yeah. do because <laughs> they're live creatures. Yes. <laughs> uh, but you can test some general behavior of, of right. people in the space. There are things that we expected might happen. Mm-hmm. When we started making the show, we thought people should be able to go and buy coffee during the show and then come and, and, and walk around freely. And we realized that's not going to happen. Mm. No one's going to do that. People go and buy coffee at the beginning of the show, but then they sit down and watch the show in right. their seat. And that's that's great. That is probably how the show should work. Um, so a lot of the time, those tests with live audiences make it like much about yeah and we do it really early on so like we started R&Ding this show over well over a year ago and had people come and see a really early iteration where everything was very draft based right but we need to understand that how the audience experience it because Mm -hmm. it's so difficult to to plan that otherwise so we every single stage we bring people in whether they're people we know or we we can sometimes invite students in we've tested out work with groups of students um, so we do it in lots of different ways to test out how we think audiences will work and also make the experience clear for them. Right. Um, I think a lot of making this kind of work is about helping the audience to understand how you would like them to experience it, whether that's telling them at the start that you don't have to worry about these phones, you can hold them, you can do anything with them, um, or whether it's a, a briefing in a leisure centre before you're going to take them to lots of different spaces. Um, but there's really you know clear ways of signposting how to make that work and there's a lot of detail in how you break that down and plan for it right what are your kind of strategies for I suppose rehearsing something like this just as a performer and given that you're on your own it's a solo Mm. performance as well I think that's really interesting like that you not only have other cast members your your cast members so to speak in inverted commas are the audience yeah Um, so what are your sort of strategies for preparing that for rehearsing that what are the kinds of things that you do technically as an actor? Um, I think, again, it's testing out with other people. Uh, right. When we did a, an early rehearsal and the whole creative team were in there, everyone had their own you know, thing to, to worry about. So right. everyone was like, writing notes and on their laptop as I'm doing my thing. And I'm like, hello, help me, people. <laughs> um, and one of our colleagues said, you have to use the audience. They are the people right. who are there 
going to who are going to get in touch with you. So I need to kind of have everything as much as possible in my head that I know I'm saying and doing, and also try and be open to responding to to the room because it'll be different every time. Mm-hmm. Um, we use the people in the room; they become characters in the show uh, in a way. So that's right. really helpful, and it's really fun and really playful. Um, so that's really great. And actually, is it um, too simplistic to kind of compare it to improv or something like that, skills-wise? Um, no, I think improv is far more complicated really? than what I'm doing. <laughs> okay. um, I mean, I've done other work where, where I do improvise more right. uh, with the audience or the audience uh, respond more. We ask, ask them to do more things. This much. This is an interesting one because you're on headphones, so the audience have this strange kind of feeling of not having to interact with me because it's kind of quite filmic. You've got my voice in your ears really, really close up. So if I whisper, you hear it really, really clearly. Um, and I'm in the room with you. But because you've got this kind of sc- this screen, the phone and the headphones, you're slightly detached from me in a strange way. Right. Um, in the same way as you might be in a cafe on exactly, a phone anyway. Exactly. <laughs> right. And we play with that. And there's a moment where that changes. And I think it's really interesting for the audience to experience that. Um, because I think they don't feel... I think a lot of the time with solo performances, you're there and you're going, OK, I'm, I'm with you, because you kind of have to be as an audience member. And in this one, it's you're there and you're with me, but you've also got this opportunity just to look at a phone and hear me. So it's quite a weird one to perform in. At first, I thought, maybe people aren't interested. But that's actually... <laughs> it's, it's that they're, they're analysing it or they're experiencing it in a different way to, to a normal one-person show. And we are offering them three layers of yeah, stimulus. Not that any theatre doesn't. Of course it does, mm. but... There's a screen with lots of visuals. There is a soundscape that is really, really detailed, and there is Terry's voice in the space. So sometimes, sometimes we encourage people to look at their mm. phones and listen, mm. and not look at Terry in parts right. of the show. And parts of the show, we want them to be completely with him. So mm. a lot of the work was just about balancing between all the different elements: uh, video and, mm. and app, and sound design, and text, and all of that. Just balancing where we want the audience's focus to be. I right. think the most challenging thing for me as a performer is not to get distracted by those things. Mm. So in the previews, we've had things like pretty much like a rave happening next door and okay. being really, really loud <laughs> in the headphones. So obviously that's not the way I want the sound design. That's not what we've created. And yet I have to struggle on through. If I see audience members with their eyes closed because they're listening to something, I have to really, really focus on what I'm doing and remember the, the journey that I'm on, uh, as well as being present in the moment. You have to kind of dig down into the, the rehearsals. Given that, um, yeah, as you said, there's like many layers to this performance and this experience that the audience are having, how did you find that actual process of the integration of the screen? How does that fit with actual dialogue? Just from a directorial point of view, I'm mm. curious, you know, how can you direct all those elements? It was very <laughs> slow. It was very, yeah. very different to... Uh, not that any project that we do is similar to another. Right. But a lot of the times it's just about managing lots of performers and where they are in the space and that kind of logistical nightmare. Right. Whereas here, I just had one really amazing performer who <laughs> was always on it. But every member of the team had a completely different timeline. Mm. Um, and, for example, just rebooting all the phones or changing one thing could take four hours. It's, it's different timelines and understanding the different processes of everyone so it wasn't a traditional let's get into the space and yes. rehearse this in fact we were very slowly working on this piece for 
quite a long time. Mm. I don't know With big exactly. gaps in between rehearsals because mm. they needed time to, to build the, the actual technology. Mm. They told us the other day, Luke said that they've done like 400 iterations of the app. Wow. Yeah. It's incredible what Because it done. appears like an app on your phone. It, that it's, looks it like is an app on your phone, but mm. the app pretends to be all Other of things. the different apps. Okay. So it pretends to be Twitter and it pretends to be Facebook or emails or messaging. So they've done a huge amount of work on this. Um, so and the yet, process strangely, would, it looks It looks like, like phone, a real phone. So you're not even considering it. Uh, for example, with the sound, the way we worked on it was kind of like a radio play. We recorded hmm. Terry... Uh, saying all his texts and we worked on all of the sound design which is very detailed um, like a radio play and then took Terry's recorded voice and made it all into kind of a live file of, of sound working with Terry so we kind of went backwards in designing the sound mm. so every element just had a completely different timeline. Different timeline. It sounds more like the whole production is a symphony rather than a play, <laughs> if that <laughs> <Really>? makes sense. <laughs> and interestingly, we've done um, a really exciting uh, lighting design as well uh, with someone called Zia Bergen-Holly who has created a lighting design that can tour because we're going, of we're course. taking to lots of yeah. different cafes. So we needed something that could sit in any cafe, be quite, you know, just like this is just a lamp that's on the table. But actually, it's a wireless uh, lamp that we control and mm. it totally creates the emotional atmosphere of the space that we're in. It's very clever. Um, and what she's done is really beautiful. She's very clever. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to talk about the fact that you are taking it to Edinburgh. What was your experience with The Fringe before this particular production? It's our first time. Oh, really? <laughs> it's crazy. I've been up with uh, another company that I've worked with called Toot, and we've done, we did a show five years ago, um, and I did stuff when I was a student as well. Okay. But this is our first anterior okay. dive production at the Fringe. Amazing. So what were the sort of particular challenges or opportunities um, for you guys in terms of working with Travis mm. in particular? Was there a reason you went with Travis? Well, we're we're very excited about working with Travis. It's it's quite an honour to be t- mm. to honour to be part of their program amongst brilliant artists. Um, I think it's their it's a new play and it's a new way to write a play mm. collaboration with a company that does site specific work and devising with a writer like Chris Good um, and the way I think we liked the way they saw it as new writing and a new way of writing a play mm. which is what excited us of being as part of their program. Yeah it's really exciting and I think the opportunities that we have as a company to hopefully engage with new audiences as a result of that. And in terms of again you know it's because it's a solo performance I'm curious if you have any thoughts or strategies about how to survive what is actually a pretty intense month. I mean, you're performing yeah. every single day, you know, exactly. You, Yeah, because as well of, uh, with the immersive sort of quality of it, you have to be prepared for whatever's going to come. Mm. The audience is very diverse. Have you thought about the strategies for kind of doing that every day for a whole month? It's a, a lot about focus. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are talking about it again on the way home because, uh, or on the way here, the every day we'll have about 45 minutes to set up the cafe ready for the show right and then do the show so i'm gonna have to like start like warming up uh, an hour and a half before the show or something and i'm finding ways through the the previews are really really useful to find ways of like focusing in on on what the challenge is at the time at the top of the show there's about 10 minutes where the audience are giving the phones and the headphones and stuff like that and i'm sitting in amongst everyone and that's my moment to go okay, this is where I am, this is what I'm doing, um, and to kind of breathe, because hopefully not many people are noticing me. <laughs> <laughs> We've had people chatting to Terry yeah. at the top of the show oh, really? and discuss strategies of, what should I say if they ask me if I'm part of the show? Yeah. 
So, um, but it's 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 a really fun moment. Yeah, maybe it's kind of a blessing that you're actually not performing like in a traditional fringe space either because usually the sort of stuff that we hear is that you know obviously you have a really tight turnaround and then there's another completely different production mm. in that exact same venue mm-hmm. so you have to get out yeah. really quick and maybe you kind of have avoided that by being not quite because <laughs> it's a working cafe okay yeah, so, so there'll be right, customers so different in the challenges cafe there. until half an hour before the show yeah. right <laughs> have to kick them out and yeah. <laughs> close <laughs> down the cafe <laughs> so there'll be different challenges and yeah always working in sight there are more challenges than you expect because you don't have a control of your space right so the other day we had a fridge in the first we did a preview in the more in the afternoon and it was fine and then the second preview there was a fridge just humming like, humming in the background and we're like where what where did that come from that wasn't there earlier <laughs> so there's always another challenge to face <laughs> yeah I wonder if you have any advice to other people who maybe are interested in making this kind of theater mm-hmm. obviously a lot of our members do make their own work do you have any advice for actually like setting up a theater company and and that sort of thing is it purely just having the right people or what are the other considerations people should think about i think it should always start with the work they want to make right Uh, of course uh many many years down the line for us (laughs) there's it's it's a bigger beast but i don't think anyone should ever start with the logistics of starting a company Mm -hmm. they should start with the work they want to make and be passionate about it Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely and also to think about why they make it you know think okay i've got this journey or i want to say this if it's a story or if it's this type of thing or it's like what what is that thing that you're trying to do Mm -hmm. um i think that's the key 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 thing Hmm. i think that's good advice (laughs) um another thing that i noticed from um your site and your sort of little preview of the show or like your kind of behind the scenes so to mm-hmm. speak is that there's an accessibility quality that there was is. taken into consideration can you speak to me a bit about that and and why that was important so we brought in um sophie gunn mm-hmm. who was a volunteer performer in our previous show she's a daughter of two deaf parents and she asked for them to come to see the show and if we could um BSL it so we did it was uh, walking around leisure centers and she helped us integrate that into that show and it was such a success it really opened our eyes Mm. to how we can look at things differently so we welcomed Sophie into the company uh, taking over Axis um, and she has done together with Marmelo such a brilliant job captioning the show. Sure. So every performance, the, the main thing that uh, we discovered through conversations with the deaf community is that it's very hard to find shows that are accessible. And if they do exist, they might be on a Wednesday at 2 p.m. and you can't, can't necessarily go there. go there in the middle yeah. of your uh, work or whatever. Um, so we wanted to make every show accessible. So anybody who wants a captioned version of the show just asks our team and they get given a caption phone. And they did a fantastic job. Yeah, it's been a real challenge because they've had to do the app and then integrate the captioning on top of it. And that was really technically really, really difficult. Mm -hmm. Um, But they've done a brilliant job. And Sophie, um, we helped her to get a bursary from the Michael Grandage company to work with us on this. So I think for her development as a young artist who's really passionate about accessibility, uh, it's really great. And she's now going to also perform because we're taking Take On Me out again. Okay. Uh, in the autumn and it's in the autumn in the spring it's going to six different venues with six different local casts everywhere we go so it's going to be oh, pretty wow. amazing and Sophie's now a fifth member of the professional cast and she's going to be BSL performing um, 
for every single show as well. So, and, and we kind of tested both ways for this show. Um, so we tested it with her interpreting and the, the kind of focus group that we did. They said, no, it makes much more sense to caption this one. But for Take On Me, because it's a journeying show and it's moving right. around, mm-hmm. it makes much more sense to have that Actually as have... interpreted. Right. So it's really exciting um, to be, you know, making it more accessible. I think that's fabulous and I think it's really important and it's the kind of thing that more theatre makers should think about mm. and, and try to integrate. Um, I'm kind of coming to the end of my questions now, <laughs> but I would I would love to know, you know, if there's a couple of really key pieces of advice that you would give, particularly our very young members who are just embarking on their careers in the arts, you know, um, who maybe have interests in not just performing but mm-hmm. making theatre, um, what they should think about, what they should prioritise, how they can make work happen, um, any kind of final words of advice that you would give them? I would say get in the room with people that you like, like ask uh, to meet people, meet other companies, go see stuff and say, I like what you do, how do you do it? Can I come and be in rehearsal room with you for a while? Uh, Just try and get into the environment because that's how you understand how it can work and how it can start being made. Um, be shameless and ask, ask to ask to be part of things. Yeah. And I'd say structure your process and integrate uh, some inspiration into it. So mm. throughout our history, we invited uh, pharmacists or scientists or doctors or technologists <laughs> to be right. part of our projects and part of our process to kind of open our minds beyond what we know. Mm. Before we go, do you want to plug your show? Let us know where it is. Tell <laughs> so, people where they can find out more about you. Yeah, it's going to be on every night except Mondays from the 3rd to the 26th of August in the Geely Peace Cafe, which is part of the Traverse program. So you can check out the Traverse website for tickets. Um, and you can check us out on dantodai.com and all the usual social media outlets. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much, both of you, for joining us. In the notes, you'll find links to the Dante or Die website and to user not found if you are interested in grabbing some tickets. For any other questions, ask us on Twitter at Spotlight UK or send us an email at questions at spotlight.com.